0: Reading the scriptures for today, I thought back to my days in college many years ago. And during my first week or two of college, I wanted to be involved in a Christian organization on campus. And so I had been, somebody from one of the organizations had invited me to come to one of their meetings. So I thought, oh, this sounds good. This will be an opportunity for me to grow and to learn in my faith. And so I went to this meeting, I don't remember all the details of the meeting. I don't remember what all went on, but I do remember this. I walked away thinking that was weird. It was very different than anything I had ever experienced. It, and again, I don't know why. I can't tell you now. I'm not sure I could have told you 20 years ago. But it was it was just weird. That was the, the only word that I can come up with to describe it. And that's the way it is sometimes when we encounter things that we're not used to. And I think that was a large part of it was I encountered a group of followers of Jesus who had grown up in a different environment, who used different language than I used, who, who spoke about things, who had a different way of experiencing, maybe even a different way of reading the Bible than I do. And it was different to me. And so I simply saw it as weird. I never went back to that meeting. But one of the things that we find is as we read the Bible is there are things that are weird, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, how about the Holy Spirit often seems like the weird uncle of the family. And there is, frankly, probably the Holy Spirit is one of those things that as, if you travel around the country, if you travel around the world and visit different churches and enter different places, how people talk about how they experience their views of the Holy Spirit will probably be one of those things that if you visit other churches that will stand out to you with that word Weird. And that doesn't mean I'm weird, sometimes has these negative connotations. By weird, I just mean not my normal experience. And that's all that weird is, it wasn't that they were odd people or strange people. They maybe seemed that way, but it was only because they were different. They talked about things in a different way. And the Holy Spirit I've found in my years of ministry, in my years of talking with other pastors, of meeting people from other churches, of meeting people from other different traditions... I often find that the Holy Spirit is one of those topics where we find the most places where we have vastly different views on understanding what it means. Even within our own congregation with people who come, they have different ideas of these. And sometimes even it's just the language we use. And so one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is one of those words that's really a church word, it's a Holy Spirit word, and that's the word anointing to be honest, as I think back, I grew up, I went to church every Sunday, was in Sunday school. I don't recall in the hundreds of sermons I heard, in the hundreds of times I went to Sunday school, I'm not sure I ever really heard the word anointed mentioned much. The pastor I grew up with, we preached from the Bible in Sunday school, we read the Bible, but it wasn't a word we talked about. Now, my guess is that some of you were in churches where you heard about the anointing Every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, and you talk about it and you read about it, and maybe the pastors you watch on TV or the ones you listen to or the books you read, always talk about the anointing. And we mean different things by it. And so that's sometimes what happens when we say the word "weird" is we just have different definitions of a word. And so I think of even again, going out to the East Coast for school, and I grew up in southwestern Michigan. Two hours south of here, I grew up near Warren Dunes State Park, which is much like Muskegon State Park, this big state park on the shores of Lake Michigan with these huge sand dunes and these sand beaches and, and the shore of Lake Michigan. And I moved to the East Coast, and one of the first times I was out there, somebody invited me to go to the beach. Now, you, like me, being from Western Michigan, you hear the word beach, and you have an idea of what a beach looks like. Now, to me, a beach means there is sand. The beaches I visited in the Massachusetts area, there is no sand. It's just rocks. So when they said, We're going to the beach, there's, there are one or two little places. There's one called Singing Sands, and they're so proud of it. They've got this little strip of sand. They're like, Oh, look at all the sand. I said, No, that's not sand. <laughs> I've got that much in my backyard. That's not a beach, that's a sandbox. But there's this idea, so we hear the words and so we hear the word anointing and we have different ideas. And so I want us to think about the word anointing and I want to connect the word anointing with our everyday mission, with living it out. So the word anointing is a translation in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew, the word we translate as anointing is the word messah, which sounds a lot like Messiah, which is where we get that word Messiah from. Or in the Greek, in the New Testament, The word for anoint is Christos. So Jesus is the anointed one. So this word anointing plays a theme in it. But what does it mean to be anointed? Well, in the Old Testament, being anointed was most often associated with the kings. So there's these stories in the Bible of when the people of God, when they chose a king, whether it was Saul or David or any one of the other number of kings that would come, that one of the prophets would anoint them and they would pour oil over them and they would anoint them with this oil. And to be anointed was to be chosen and commissioned by God for a job that God wanted done. So it was to be chosen and commissioned by God for a job they wanted done. And sometimes the Bible even talks about, some of the prophets even talk about people being anointed that weren't part of God's people. There was a king of a foreign country named Cyrus who it describes as being anointed by God because God had chosen him and commissioned him for a particular task, and that task was to punish the people of God. And so there was this task, this sense of anointing. But the kings had a role. The kings were to defend the people. They were to serve the law. They were to bring justice for the poor and for the weak. The kings had a huge job, and in order to do that, they needed the power of God to do that. They needed the power of the Spirit of God to do it. And so they would be anointed, and it was a symbol as this oil was poured on them to say that you are chosen and commissioned by God and you need God's spirit in order to accomplish this huge task and this oil is a representation of God's spirit being poured out on you. But one of the things we notice as we read is that there were lots of people anointed by God. It didn't necessarily mean they did the job well. That Saul, the first king, he fell away. David, he had his problems along the way. And then as we go through all the different kings of Israel and of Judah, there's these challenges. And that being anointed doesn't guarantee success. So there's this thing that sets up. And so as the people of God live through, and they have all these kings who are anointed, and they keep coming and they keep seeing these kings who are saying, this king is chosen and appointed by God to accomplish a person. And king after king after king fails so the people of god start to think is there ever going to be anyone is there ever going to be anyone who lives this out and so this expectation grew that one day there would be an anointed one who would be fully obedient and do what god wanted one day there would be an anointed one a messiah a messiah who would accomplish all that god wanted And so those of us us who follow Jesus, our minds immediately jump there. Well, Jesus, that was Jesus. But I want us to see, first of all, how Jesus fits in the bigger story. So, big story, God creates a world, and the plan is that God would reign over creation through His servant kings. What happens on the first couple pages of the Bible? People choose to go their own way. And then God begins this process and He chooses a people through Abraham and then eventually the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel was to bless the world. They were to exist for the world. They were to be a light to the nations around them. And what happens to the people of Israel? They fail. And God punishes them and He sends them off into exile. And exile is where we find ourselves in the book of Isaiah. It's the setting for this. And in the midst of Isaiah we're introduced to one who's simply called the servant. And this servant has a task, and that task is to restore the people of God and to embody Israel's mission by bringing blessing to the nations. He's to restore the people of God, and he's to fulfill God's mission. And whatever that servant's mission is, it's going to require the power of the Spirit. It's going to require being anointed. And so what is this Spirit-filled mission? And so if we turn, we see... In Isaiah chapter 42, it says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, this one of whom I've chosen, and he says, I will put my spirit on him, I will anoint him. So what does the spirit anoint the servant to do? I'm going to just go quickly through four things the spirit calls this person to do, The spirit that, this spirit-filled mission, this anointed mission, what it looks like. First of all, he'll bring Justice. We talked about that a few weeks ago, this idea of justice where things are set right. It's not simply punishing the bad guys, but it's making sure that the world is the way God wants it to be. So there's justice. But this justice doesn't come with swords and shields. But it says, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So there's this picture of If you've ever had those candles that they're just, they're kind of flickering and you're hoping, you're wondering, is it going to go out? Is it going to keep burning? And what Isaiah is saying is this servant that comes, he'll bring justice, but he'll also be a servant with compassion so that this smoldering wick won't go out, that this bruised reed, this thing that's kind of on the teetering edge. But he's not talking about reeds or candles, is he? He's talking about people. And maybe you feel like you're a bruised reed. Or maybe you feel like you're a smoldering wick. Or maybe you know somebody who's that way. Ever encountered those people who you feel like just the wrong word, maybe not saying the right word, maybe even just the wrong look will be enough to just crush them, to break them. And so what Isaiah is saying, the servant whom I will appoint, the servant whom I will anoint, the servant who will come will be so filled with compassion that those people who are broken and hurting, He's not going to harm them, but He's going to care for them. And then finally down to verse 7, it says, He will open the eyes that are blind and free captives from prison. The servant that comes will bring enlightenment, will help people understand and see, and will also bring liberation and freedom. So Isaiah's painting this picture saying, there will one day come a servant who's going to do these things, who's going to be filled, appointed by God with power to bring justice and compassion and enlightenment and liberation. So the people are expecting this. And then Jesus comes on the scene and in Luke chapter four, there's a scene where Luke tells the story of Jesus. He's gone out in the desert, he's been tempted and it says he comes back and he's filled with the power of the Spirit. This is Luke 4, beginning of verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And Luke wants us to pay attention to being in the power of the Spirit. And he's teaching in the synagogues and he comes to Nazareth. And he stood, stands up and he reads the scroll. And he reads that other passage that we read from Isaiah chapter 61. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. In other words, God has poured out His Spirit on him. He's given him a task and a mission. What to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now I want you to picture yourself sitting in a synagogue. And this wandering rabbi comes along and reads this passage from the prophet Isaiah. You still feel like you're in exile. You still feel like... You're in expectation, you're waiting for God to send his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed one to come and to rescue you, to fulfill all these promises, to help Israel, to help God's people be who they were called to be, to be a light to the world, to do all those things. And you're sitting there and you hear these words and you hear this traveling rabbi and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And you're kind of nodding your head and you're saying, yeah. Yeah. And maybe you're thinking, yes, this is what God has promised us. Maybe you're thinking this is our hope. Maybe you're thinking let's pray for this. And then Jesus says, "It's now. This is fulfilled. I have come to live this out." The people who heard it probably first said, "Oh, Jesus is reminding us of the hope." And then Jesus says, "The hope is coming. It's here now, and it's been fulfilled." And we see it lived out in the life of Jesus as we think back about those things from Isaiah chapter 42 compassion or well first with justice the reign of God where Jesus comes and what's he do? All he proclaims the kingdom of God has come we pray for it each and every Sunday when we say that prayer that Jesus taught his followers and we say what? Your kingdom come what do we mean? We mean a world that looks the way that God wants it to look where God is king Where things are right, where people live in equity and harmony and peace with each other, where the quartet of the oppressed, where the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners are treated the way they're supposed to be. Where people aren't sold into slavery, where all these things are going on. We pray for it each and every week, and Jesus lived it out. What about compassion? Do we think Jesus lived a life of compassion? As we see Him travel around towns... And so often, what does Jesus do? He sees the people that nobody else sees. He sees the lepers. He sees the prostitutes. He sees the people oppressed by demons. He sees the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame. Those who've been pushed to the outside of society. The ones who are the broken reeds. The ones who are the smoldering wicks. The ones who are teetering on the edge and so easily could just have their spirit broken. And time and time again, what does Jesus do? He extends a hand of tenderness and he invites them in and he makes them know and feel that they are loved by God and that they matter deeply. Enlightenment from Isaiah, what was one of Jesus' main things he did? What he taught, right? He comes and he shares and he... He helps people see, and time and time again when Jesus teaches, the people say, oh, we've never heard teaching like this before. We've never understood these things before. He's showing us. He's opening our eyes to see things. In liberation. Jesus delivers people from sickness. He frees them from demons. He frees them from all these things. And Jesus comes into this. So Jesus fulfills all these things. He's living out this call that was given First, to Adam and Eve, and then to Abraham and his family, and then to the nation of Israel, to be a light to the nations and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we might just stop there and say Jesus was the anointed one, and he fulfilled all these things. He was the servant that Isaiah was talking about. And we're thankful for that. But if that's all we said about anointing, we would have missed something. You see, because at the end of his ministry, at the end of his time with his disciples, Jesus looks at his followers and he says it a couple different ways. In one point, as John describes it, he looks at them and he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then John has this strange thing and he says, then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you were listening Weeks ago, when I talked about in the first sermon in this series, the spirit of God, the word in Hebrew is Ruach, which can mean spirit, but can also mean wind or breath. And so as Jesus breathes on them, just as God breathed the breath of life into Adam, he breathes on them and it says, "Receive the spirit. Here's the wind, here's the power of the spirit." In other words, he says to his disciples, just as I have been anointed with the Spirit, so you have been anointed with the Spirit. Or as Luke describes it in the book of Acts, he says he tells his followers after his resurrection, he says, wait here in Jerusalem, and then you will receive power from on high from the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says, you also will be anointed, you will receive that power. And how we understand that then is, That same anointing that was given to Jesus is also given to us. Now remember, anointing is about being chosen and commissioned by God to do a particular task in the power of the Spirit. And what's that task? The same one that Jesus was given to be a blessing to the nations, to be a light to the nations, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth with justice, compassion, enlightenment, and liberation. So that's our challenge. We remember that the kings of Israel, they were anointed by God. They received the same commission. They received the same challenge. But it required a response. It required obedience. And we see that obedience lived perfectly out in Jesus. And because of Jesus, then we are able through the power of spirit to also be obedient. And so God calls us to do that same thing. To receive that power of the Spirit. To receive the anointing of the Spirit. To be a light to the nations. To bring salvation to the end of the earth. To be a blessing. To live with justice. With compassion. With enlightenment. And liberation. Now as I think on. This idea of living a life like Jesus. Of living the mission of Jesus. Jesus a little overwhelming I look at my own life I look at my own weaknesses and my failures and think I, I can't do that I can't on my own but with the power of the Spirit and the Spirit's help we can be obedient, live this life that Jesus has called us to live And so that's what we're invited to church, to live a life of mission To share the good news of Jesus, to be a blessing to the world around us, to bring salvation through word and deed to the world around us, to be a light to the nations by the way we live, to show them what it looks like to live a life with God, a life that's characterized by justice, where we're looking around the world and saying, where is the world not the way God wants it to be, and what part can I play in that? To live a life of compassion. To see our friends and our neighbors and our family and all those people around us who are a broken reed, who are smoldering wicks, who could so easily be crushed and to say, how can I live in the power of the Spirit to have compassion on them? How can I live a life of enlightenment? How can I be one who's helping people understand? How can I participate in the liberation that the Spirit of God calls us to? I don't know the answer for each and every one of you, but I know this is what God is calling us to. And so my prayer is that by the power of the Spirit, that we might understand this anointing, this weird word that we don't really use very often, but to understand that the Spirit of God has been given to us because God has given us a mission. He's chosen us, and He has commissioned us. And then He has said, this mission is too big for you, but I will give you my Spirit so that you can do it. So may you be filled with that power. May you feel God's Spirit inside of you. May you be obedient to the calling of the Spirit. May you see the life of Jesus and live that mission out so that we can be the people of God, so that we can be a blessing and a light to the nations, so that we who are called by God can bring the salvation of God, bring the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Amen.